The following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Call me Snake. I'm going to hit mute button. So you guys have no idea what I'm going to be doing when you aren't listening. <laughs> you guys ever wonder? Uh, well, I, I, you know, I did it until right now, and now I'm afraid that like you have no clothes on or something. <laughs> yeah, it could be filthy stuff. I'm not going to lie. So try not to think about that. (laughs) Welcome back to Escape from New York Minute, where we celebrate and analyze the dystopian classic one minute at a time. I'm Eric Deutsch. And I'm Molly Balin. And joining us this week in Manhattan Prison, the author of the novel The Shepherd's Calculus, C.S. Farrelly. Welcome to prison. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me. Certainly. Uh, We look forward to you being with us uh, all week this week. And as we start out this week, we're up to minute 70 already. And it starts out with Brain and Maggie figuring out exactly how Snake got into the prison And it ends with the USPF guards running to get on some helicopters. And so, uh, as I said, we start out this minute and Brain and Maggie pick them up in the middle of their conversation that ended at the end of last minute of exactly how did Snake get in? What's his plan for getting out? And he's looking at his giant map of Manhattan and he realizes, ah, okay, World Trade Center, nice, flat, tall surface. And he says it's going to be a hell of a lot easier to take off than it was for him to land. And that line, interestingly enough, is not in the script. And mm. so I think this calls back to way back when we first met Harry Dean Stanton in this movie. And we talked about how he had asked John Carpenter if he was allowed to do any ad-libbing. And John Carpenter said, uh, sure, go for it. And so I'm, I'm going to assume this is one of those lines that uh, he was talking about. Yeah, I actually was going to ask you, where do you think would be a good place to actually park a glider? <laughs> in in Manhattan in this context? Like, is it really the top of the World Trade Center or would there have been a superior location for that? Is that just like a hot item that were just movie-based, but there's a better, more, I don't know, logical location for that, in your opinion? Well, the problem is that he needed to land somewhere that he'd be able to take off from in, in that specific plane. You're talking about the specific uh, Gulf fire that we've got in this movie, it was the highest point in the city, and it was completely flat. I don't know where else. You know, the other really famous tall buildings, like the Chrysler Building, the Empire State Building, those are those are not flat topped. So he could not have done it there. You know, so unless he was going to land it on a street or in Central Park or something like that, I don't know. He, I don't see how he would have been able to take off. I, I, I actually kind of think it's the only place he could have done it. Mm. I think so too, and and he makes the point about Port Authority be, being too close down to the ground, which is also true, right? Uh, you know, so factually accurate. And I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to think back to the the World Trade Center. It would not have surprised me if there had been sort of a heliport landing on it. There were certainly skyscrapers down in the financial district that had helicopter landing. So um, seems pretty prescient. Mm. Yeah, in case anyone listening doesn't know, the Port Authority that uh, that that's uh, there's a bus station in Midtown West in Manhattan, um, and uh, it's like 
I don't know if it's the busiest or, or it's, it's not. It's one of the busiest bus stations in the country. Uh, all kinds of buses come all in from all over the country, and especially New Jersey commuters. That's where it goes. And uh, the Port Authority itself runs that building. It runs all of the New York City airports and waterways. So that's what the that's what the Port Authority is. Uh, and Brain has a, a nice little. Uh, Nice little rubbing his hands together here when he says it too. Just you know, little cliche movie moment like, <laughs> yes, rub the hands. Yes. It's classic Harry Dean Stanton too when he does it. Yeah, he, yeah, because you've seen him do it in other movies, so it's just perfect at the time. I will say, enjoy Maggie's manicure and her stroking of Snake's gun. Not to be <laughs> euphemism for for anything, but. Yeah, I, I appreciate a woman who somehow found a nail salon or did it herself because she's got time on her hands. So um, well done all the way around. And her wardrobe, too. I mean, I, I know that I personally, when I want to be trapped, apparently by choice, uh, because I'm not quite sure how she ended up there. But when I want to be trapped on a prison island, I, I want to be wearing sort of a Stevie Nicks dress in, in that moment. So uh, she looks pretty fantastic. Truly, truly. Well, and those nails, I mean, there, there's a practical, there's got to be a practical purpose for those in Manhattan prison, too. That's defense. I was kind of thinking something else, but yeah, <laughs> that too. <laughs> all, all right. What's the, so what's the something else here? Well, you know, like for tickles or for, you know, other <laughs> kind of special special stuff keeping brain happy so so yeah i multi-purpose i think last minute is still is starting to bleed already into this <laughs> we were we were a little naughty last week um his uh, dad was gone so without oversight but dad's back so yeah we have to be good again brad's, brad's <laughs> listening this time maybe brain's plan here is not to escape with snake it's to actually steal snake's way out so he's going to be double-crossing not just the Duke. He's going to—he's planning to double-cross Snake, too. He's basically looking, me and Maggie are getting out of here. Screw everybody else in the prison. That's right. And then, you know, we know that he's he's double-crossed Snake before. Yep. Uh, so should be should be interesting. Makes for some fireworks later on. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed in Brain for being... I mean, not like we haven't set this up as a character that he's kind of a dick. Because <laughs> uh, we have a precedent for this. But I'm, I'm just disappointed. I'm disappointed in this moment that he's he's not, uh, oh, I don't know, a little bit more upstanding. I mean, I guess in all fairness, there's Snake currently is captive, and Brain certainly isn't going to risk his life to try to get him out, I guess. Although I don't know what I'm talking about, because in a few minutes he does kind of risk his life to get him out. So now I'm not sure what the hell's going on. He <laughs> says it's going to be a lot easier for us to take off. I know we're not supposed to jump ahead, so I'm not going to get too into it. But he's he says it's going to be a lot easier for us to take off than it was for him to land. And I think it clearly seems like it means he's going to bail. But we will see fairly soon in movie time, he does go to back for Snake. So mm -hmm. I think part of what I was confused about is that if he's... I mean, you sort of see how smart he is. He's got this whole nickname built around it. He's built up a cottage industry for himself, creating gasoline. Could he not have built his own sort of contraption? And, it, you know, if he's thought about, on the fly, he thinks about the solution to get down to the World Trade Center. So you know, he clearly has a lot of great ideas. So that, that was one thing, especially in this moment, as we saw, you could see the wheels turning in his brain. So it was just sort of like, why, why hasn't he tried to do this before, was, was the question I had. Why did it take Snake Plissken in all his glory to really prompt this for him? Right. 
Well, unless he's just, he's good at drilling for oil, but he's not good at escape plans. <laughs> I, know, not, I mean, they're not, not everybody, you know, not, I'm sure there were things Albert Einstein wasn't good at in school. You know? you know, sometimes we're defined by people and relationships, and maybe there's just something magical about his relationship with Snake that just inspires him to break out of prison or leave him at the criminal altar, whatever the case may be. <laughs> the Snake Plissken effect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we all have it and of course it's you know watching it now uh i mean there's so many things about the movie with it starting saying you know 1988 and then 1997 of course having lived through those period thinking you know that's not at all what new york looked like in 1988 well actually new york wasn't that far off from that 1988 but by 1997 giuliani had cleaned it up a little but mm. now watching it and and seeing the World Trade Center and hearing him talk about a plane landing is a little, it just had a very different resonance for me this time. And yeah. I just I wonder for how many people that that's the case. Oh so my God. Yeah. Coming up next week. You know, it's just very, uh, it really stuck, stuck out at me watching it again this time. Oh, sure. Yeah. I think I had that similar reaction starting the podcast, you know, being old enough and being an adult, you know, when 9-11 happened um, and to have that, you know, context overlaid on this movie was uh, really interesting and, you know, kind of harrowing and just eerie. So, yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting piece of art now in regards to how us living through that particular incident. Yeah, definitely. And that sort of afterwards, when when you see them approaching the helicopter, there's that shot of the U.S. flag hanging over the side and you know after 9-11 any neighborhood that you walked through any overpass over the highways they all had the U.S. flag hanging down that way so Mm. it was again this other sort of eerily prescient kind of time capsule moment where you saw helicopters and a lot of military intervention in the area and seeing that that flag and that shot in the movie is is really powerful now in a different way. Yeah right right. Uh, For all the listeners who might be screaming at their podcast listener of uh, app of choice uh, i i do realize that i misspoke a few minutes ago uh, brain in a few minutes in the movie is not going to go back to rescue snake he goes to get the president uh and it just is happenstance that he ends up back with snake so i realized that as soon as i was saying that that i was wrong so you can stop yelling now at the pod at your podcatcher brain's still a dick everybody yeah <laughs> <laughs> rest easy rest easy <laughs> uh, i gotta call out for uh, older listeners of the show who remember what it was like to have to use a map and not just look at your cell phone uh <laughs> the map that brain is using there on the left it looks like the old hagstrom maps if anyone knows what i'm talking about when i was growing up my dad had the big giant hagstrom atlas of new york city uh, for whenever we would be going into the city, that and that's how you had to look at it, and it was just this looks like a Hagstrom map just blown up to really, really large. So I, mm-hmm. I like the the making use of what was the technology of the time there. Mm-hmm. Totally. So we grew up with Thomas Brothers. Okay. So I remember that being in the car, like a big, thick one for different parts of the country. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's interesting. You know, we don't need that anymore. Actually, at at work, I had to print out a map for somebody because they didn't have data on their phone. And I was, it was so interesting now because I really took it for granted that they would just be able to, you know, ask for directions through the phone or GPS and get there. And and that individual was not operating (laughs) in that way. It was operating quite analog. So there are still folks who are using maps, but it's something I do kind of wonder 
because there is a skill to map reading in that, you know, in that post-apocalyptic sort of way that we're going to need people who still have that skill set to be able to read a map because it's possible you may not have some type of a cell phone or a Garmin or whatever on hand. It's just interesting with the technology now. Well, I'm happy to the question, will will any maps still exist? Will paper maps exist for them to salvage to even Mm, use? Right. I hope so. I've often wondered what role I would play in an apocalypse model. I'm I'm glad to hear you say that because I am great with maps and directions. So now I know how I can uh, keep myself useful and not be beheaded. Oh, the navigator. (laughs) Awesome. If it makes you feel any better, there's a there's a Dr. Seuss book that teaches kids how to read maps. So <laughs> whether or not they'll they'll ever actually use it, I only know this because my son reads it. And uh, I don't know if he'll ever use it sort of like, you know, I didn't use algebra any time between seventh grade and when I turned about 25. Mm-hmm. But, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe he'll use it eventually. Yeah, maybe you need to bury that out back. <laughs> <laughs> For him and future generations. Who knows? <laughs> So we leave the library and we go back to the command post with Hauk and Remy and the Secretary of State. And they are reading, they're taking the note out of briefcase that the guards got uh, in uh, the minutes we did last week. And they read the note from the prisoners and the prisoners say they want amnesty for all prisoners in exchange for the president. No bullshitter is dead. We'll see you tomorrow at noon on the 69th Street Bridge. So the first thing that I need to call out here is... Time is obviously of the essence. It's been one of the biggest things that uh, we've been dealing with since the beginning of this movie. There's literally a ticking clock throughout this movie. Why did they wait until they had the briefcase back in the control center to open it and read the note? Could they not have just authorized someone on the helicopter to open it up as soon as they got it and just radio Hauk with what the note said? It seems like they just wasted about 15 minutes here waiting so Hauk could personally pull the note out of the briefcase. Well, first, I, you know, what I really like is that you referred to it as the library, that they exited the library. It's sort of like, you know, we're leaving the parlor room and now going to <laughs> somewhere else. So, so you know, but I, th- I think you're right. There was definitely some dramatic effect there. And then is sort of picking up this, uh, speaking of how arcane some of the technology looks, when they pick up the, the wristband, uh, the sort of broken wrist tracer or whatever it is that, that belonged to Snake uh, as well. I kind of had this thought of, it brought me back thoughts of Gordon Gecko using the cell phone on the beach in, the, in Wall Street, where he was sort of like, what is that thing that he's holding? It's just, this is what futuristic technology looked like. <laughs> Yeah, those are the goggles. Those are Snake's infrared goggles uh, that he's holding there. And obviously the prisoners jammed two nails into them as if to say, Haha, it takes care of your guy, which basically is what the Secretary of State does. He's like, so much for your man, Hauk. And it's like he's gloating. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> we're, we're, we're in crunch time now. The president's life is in danger. Like, eh, your plan didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> There's always time to rub someone's nose in it. <laughs> Well, you know, he's the Secretary of State. He doesn't even get a name. They just refer to him as the Secretary of State. So I guess that's sort of a a giant flashing red sign that he's going to be a dick. (laughs) (laughs) Like foreshadowing. (laughs) I do appreciate the communication skills around this ransom note. Uh, It's not, it's not psychotic. It's not overwordy. I do appreciate these like no bullshit. We all know what that means. It's pretty efficient, actually. I wish people communicated Kind of like this in business settings, honestly. 
I think there's a lot of meetings that could have been avoided if the Duke just wrote everybody's emails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the problem is when you write emails like the Duke at work, then you end up getting people be like, ah, oh, and then they flip out on you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried Deserves without actually HR. using the profanity. It just it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> or, or my favorite when I say, "So I'm going to try to keep us to the agenda and on target here," which just makes me it sort of crushes a part of my soul <laughs> to have mm-hmm. to say those words. It's sort of like, what what happened to me that I actually voluntarily use this language anymore? But <laughs> but you know, when you watch Hauk deliver it. You know, Hauk lives for these li- lives for these words, and so does the Secretary of State. So, you know, they are the perfect men to be delivering some of those lines. Oh yeah, he's he's got his glasses on too. <laughs> That's how you know it's serious. Yeah, he's got his reading glasses on, man. Which you know begs the question: What does the Duke's handwriting look like? Do we think he's a print person, or is he a cursive? You know what? I don't know. I'm, I'm sort I'm of sad that they never show us. I'm wondering if someone else even wrote it for him if he's you know it's just like i'm not gonna I, i'm the duke i someone i don't have to write for myself i tell someone what to write and they write it for me <laughs> that is that is the pinnacle of achievement right there <laughs> that is living the life you know is is the duke really going to be happier off the island when he's you know what is he going to be if, if his plan had worked out what would he be not on the island he wouldn't be the duke would he have an existentialist crisis mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah yeah, that's, that's a good question. I mean, he's very big fish in relatively small pond right now. I mean, he can't think that he can stay in the U.S. if he actually gets out, because he'd be probably public enemy number one. He's got to get out of the country. And if he goes to another country, he's not going to, you know, how many followers are actually going to go with him? I mean, maybe just a handful. He's not yeah. going to have much of a great life. Where's he, you know, where's he going to end up, and, and what's he going to really do? Is he going to end up in an Ecuadorian consulate in London? That's <laughs> the question. <laughs> I was going to say Venezuela, because I know they don't have extradition. Yeah. <laughs> or is he going to be like Brooks Hadley, right? You know, he's, he's not going to know how to bag groceries. He's going to mm. be a little out of it. It's going to be a tragic spiral downward. I don't know. Yeah, I worry for him, actually. I don't know that he's really <laughs> thought this through. <laughs> You know, better to rule in hell than serve in heaven. Just saying. <laughs> I can't hear someone say that w- unless they do the Keanu Reeves imitation. Oh. <laughs> they do it. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Oh. You just heard like Al Pacino shrieking for about two and a half minutes straight. And then here comes Keanu, who sounds like he smoked a metric ton of weed. <laughs> and he issues that line in the most sanguine way possible. <laughs> It's just amazing. I know that movie is like trash, but I love it so much. Like I just can't I help it. it. Every time, just for that <laughs> scene alone, every time it comes on, I have to watch it. Oh, it's just so good. I think they did an episode on that podcast. Like, how did that get made? About that movie <laughs> specifically, and it is hysterical. I mean, they really they throw it on, under the bus hard, but um, yeah, it's it's good stuff. If if anyone doesn't know what uh cs <laughs> you're talking about I, they're I, they're most likely referring to the devil's advocate yes oh uh, my god have you seen it, it? Have i seen have it? not only oh. have i seen it I, so our our new streak continues of, of good of movies we have seen i've got a very funny uncomfortable story about when i saw it though i saw Wait. it in the theater because i saw the commercials for it and i was like oh this movie looks kind of interesting i think i want to see this and i had a, a friend um who like you know we we were 
relatively new friends, and it, it it was a woman, and there was no romantic anything. She had a boyfriend and everything, but her boyfriend lived in different cities, so we would hang out sometimes. Nothing, nothing romantic. A former boyfriend of this person, if you, who knows? Uh, and so um, she's like, "Want to go to a movie?" Yeah, I said, "Hey, there's this movie out, Devil's Advocate with Al Pacino." She's like, "Yeah, all right, fine, let's go see it." And again, we we you know we'd only hung out a few times. Uh, you know, we again friendly, completely platonic. And the scene near the end comes with Al and Keanu, and then the completely naked woman uh, there doing everything there. And I could just <laughs> doing tell, everything there. <laughs> I could just tell that, that that she was just like tense and uncomfortable, and you know, just like I, I don't think I you know know this guy well enough to be in a movie with naked people in it or something like that. <laughs> and, then, and like I didn't say anything. And so then, like a few weeks later, we went to another movie. She's like, "Well, I'm going to get to choose the movie we go to this time because you made me sit through The Devil's Advocate." Oh. <laughs> and did she pick Eyes Wide Shut? Is the question? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> because if she did, then you got your answer. Yeah. Right? <laughs> That's so funny. I actually went with my boyfriend, so I don't know if that's helping your story at all in that <laughs> context. But yeah, no, that'd be awkward for sure. Well, it'd be uh, even, I guess, you know, it'd be even more awkward, uh, I guess, if the boyfriend had been there with you guys, too. Oh, right? so, yeah. You know. Oh, that's but like glass half full. <laughs> I've sort of I've sort of veered us away from from Escape from New York, so apologies yeah, yeah, for that. Yeah, this this of course uh, not Devil's Advocate minute. I don't know anyone ever will do Devil's Advocate. Um, Although they should. <laughs> Molly will be your first guest. Apparently. <laughs> hey, I'll be I'll be the guest for that scene I just talked about. I can tell the story again. That's awesome. You can have a oh man who oh, there was a gentleman who we had earlier on who had like been in like the most super awkward of scenes. Who was that? Who we had on as a guest. Oh, you're talking about uh, Curtis Blaze. How yes, every, Curtis. Every time, thank you. Every time Curtis. Curtis is a guest on a Movies by Minute podcast, it just always coincidentally works out that he's in like the most uncomfortable scene of the movie. He's like the the most tender adult that you want <laughs> in like an awkward, awkward, uncomfortable human scene. <laughs> just saying, podcasters out there. Anywho. Moving back to Hulk land, Hulk is like, warm up the choppers. <laughs> and then we, <laughs> just so good. <laughs> and then we get this really great shot of uh, a bunch of guys running around, heading towards somewhere. There's a bunch of planes and bunker stuff and American flag. And this is supposed to be, we're, we're mobilizing, we're going in. Shit's hit the fan. We're taking care of business. Fly, Maverick, fly. Yeah, and the thing is, wasn't earlier in the movie, didn't wasn't the whole going in, wasn't that supposed to be the last resort? He was yep. talking on the phone with the vice president, and he said, you know, you know, going in is the last resort. So I know that they think Snake is dead right now, um, but they still have a few hours left of the summit, and they were just told, no bullshitter, he's dead. Is this really the smart play to go in right now? <laughs> That's, you know, I, I wish that I could answer that. I'm actually sort of, <laughs> what distracted me in that scene was the map that was behind them that looked like it had made, been made out of yarn. <laughs> so oh, no. I guess I would answer your question with, is this the right move if that's the map that they're using? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> don't know. And I guess theoretically, couldn't they have done that before? Right? Why did they have to? I mean, I guess they had to wait for Snake to find him. Right. They didn't know where he was. I mean, I guess, you know, they don't really have anything to lose, right? Because we're talking about Armageddon, and you're looking for a cassette tape. 
So at this point, you're all kind of screwed. So it doesn't matter what you do. You know, it's all just, you know, A for effort at this point. <laughs> uh, there's a couple of things from the draft script I wanted to call out in this um, in this scene also. In the draft script, they say they want, they're going to meet him on the George Washington Bridge, not the fictional 69th Street Bridge. But also, the note does not include in the draft the or he's dead clause. It just says, you know... No bullshit, and that's it. There's no or he's dead, and it's it's it's. I wonder why that wasn't included in the first time. You know, I mean, I guess if you just say you know no bullshit and you leave it at that, maybe you leave the powers that be wondering, oh no, what are they going to do? But I I think that this situation calls for the ultimatum, though. It also it just you know gives Hauk a, a chance to really sort of bring his intensity you know his like his whole thing in the movie is everything is super intense right so it just gives him one bit more line you know that he can be super captain intensity about right Mm -hmm. so is there anything was that ad-libbed or was it deliberately added do you know uh it's it it was deliberately added it's not in the draft script but then it was put in the shooting script so sometime in between uh john carpenter i threw that in i don't know maybe they oh i'm sorry go ahead no 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 go ahead no, I just I didn't know if maybe they just felt that they needed to be really concrete specific or to really express the boundaries in a far more clear way, not leave any ambiguity there. Yeah, I just I, I like the I like the add on of the clause. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other change from the again, the draft script. Remember, uh, way, way back, we talked about how in the original script, uh, it wasn't just the secretary of state. There it was a whole bunch of members of the cabinet. And so when. Instead of it being the Secretary of State here saying, uh, you know, so much for your man, Hauk, and that one, the Attorney General suddenly says, Pliskin's dead! Also, I, so I, I'm gonna, I'm a little confused about that because you're talking about a penal colony that you've created on Manhattan Island. What does the attorney general do anymore? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why, what's his function? <laughs> I don't know. God, he's just kind of like middle management now, isn't he? <laughs> exactly. How far they fall. <laughs> you know, I like looking at the way that Hauk sort of his focus on on that sort of microphone uh, is pretty impressive as well. <laughs> so. <laughs> I think there may be some, um, I don't know, relationship building with an inanimate object happening there. And it's a beautiful thing to see. So It is. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> we'll get to see a little bit more of that next minute. <laughs> uh, so, CS, where can people find you out on the interwebs or read up uh, on your writing? Sure. I've got an author website at uh, csfairly.com. So they can uh, find out about the book and find out about events that I'm doing there. Um, my publisher website, it's uh, the publisher is Cavanbridge Press, and they have a website as well, and they can find information on the book. And I'm also on uh, Amazon and Goodreads, so they can look the book up and get in touch with me a couple of different ways or even just find out what's going on with the book or where I might be if they want to come tell me how much they didn't like the book or how much they did. <laughs> so. Cool. Have you done any readings of the book thus far? I have. I've done a couple. Uh, I've been out in the Philadelphia area for a few. I went out to Pittsburgh. I got to go to Mississippi for the Mississippi Book Festival, which was 
pretty fantastic. Uh, that cool. was a really great event. And um, as in, when I was down there, I got to sort of fly into Jackson, do the festival, and then something I've always wanted to do is drive up through the Mississippi Delta to Memphis and stop off on the Blues Trail. So that that was a perfect excuse to do that. And uh, I will say that in a matter of two days, I managed to get 168 mosquito bites. Ooh. So maybe August is not the time to go to the Deep <laughs> South, would be my public <laughs> service announcement for you all. Um, but yes, I've gotten to do a couple of uh, pretty good events. And including some near, there was one in York that I did, and I did one in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So it's been pretty nice so far. Nice. That's awesome. Cool, cool, cool. There was was one moment where the first person who approached the table at the Barnes & Noble in Philadelphia to buy the book was a nun who was not wearing her habit. Uh, and the the book is a political thriller involving the Catholic Church sex abuse scandal. So <laughs> she picked up the book and told me she was a nun. And I said, well, this may be very awkward. <laughs> so oh, wow. <laughs> it was very interesting. But she bought it. And uh, so, you know, maybe, maybe it wasn't as awkward as I thought it would be. No. Yeah, maybe it's uh, deeply connecting. So and insightful for her. That's really awesome. So yeah, I didn't I didn't see any sort of angry reviews from someone claiming to be a nun from Philadelphia who hated the book. So maybe she uh, <laughs> maybe she liked it or just chose to be silent. So cool, cool. Well, thank you for joining us for Minute 70. And CS is going to be with us all this week. You can follow us on Twitter at NY Minute Pod. Also, we've got a Facebook group, Brains Library, the Escape from New York Minute Hangout. And I just want to give a little gratitude shout out to KJ Valencic, who does our sweet synthy podcast music. And with that, be on time, stay out of the sewers, and we'll meet you on the other side of the wall. <laughs>